we are studying uh, 1 Corinthians. We have uh, made it through 12 chapters. And uh, last week we saw that we are a body that God has gifted all of us individually. He has gifted us specifically. He has gifted us intentionally that we would be a, a, a body who is able to function properly, that we would, have, that our, we would be able to function as needed, and that uh, not one of the members is no more or less significant than the other. The eye doesn't say to the hand or to the ear or to the little toe. Some of you are eyes. Some of you are pinkies. Some of you are little toes with regards to the body of Christ. And we all serve different functions. But yet none of those functions are insignificant. None of those are more important or, or needed than the other. And we talked about what's your role? What are your, what are your gifts? What are your abilities? And uh, how can you be used in the body of Christ? What are some things you enjoy doing, like to doing, passionate about doing? Go do them. Serve them to the glory of God. And we're going to put up on our website in the, the coming days. Uh, these are never, you know, uh, totally infallible, but just a, a gifts assessment or analysis for you to take. Uh, it might be good to allow a loved one to take it for you. You know, sometimes we get deceived about who we are and we think we're something we're not. And so it might be good for somebody else to... Uh, to take that for you and just see, see maybe how God has gifted you if you're not aware. So uh, we'll, we'll get that up there and, and help us. But Paul closes chapter 12 with, chap, with verse 31 and says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. And that's the context that, again, that we find ourselves here in, in chapter 13. And this is probably one of the most well-known chapters in all of the Bible. You talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, everyone knows, oh, that's the love chapter. Especially the ladies. They love to take us guys. Hey, let me, let me read. Let's do a devotion tonight. Where do you want to do? 1 Corinthians 13. We did that last week. Let's do it again. Ladies love it. We know about it. It can be hard to read these things. A very familiar, very familiar. You, you hear this chapter quoted in all sorts of contexts, all kinds of events. And, I, and sometimes we make this far too of a personal, uh, far too more of a, of a personal nature, and we forget the context in which we find it in. This is more than a need for the moment text. This is more than a, hey, let's make a nice Hallmark card text. Hey, let's, let's be real romantic and I'm going to give you some romantic things you can say to your, your, your bride, your husband and that. There's more to that. There's more to this text than that. The, the context of this is a, Paul is writing to a church. And, and this is sandwiched right between what we see is chapter 12 and chapter 14. Paul, again, is helping them to explain, to helping them to understand the way that they're showing the gifts, the way they're exhibiting the gifts that they've been given was wrong. It was out of context. What we see here in chapter 13 is very specific. It's very specific. And I don't want us to make this a very personal thing and miss the broader context. Paul is making a point, a very specific point to a specific church at a specific time who was dealing with specific problems. They were showing off. They had all the, 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 they had all the trappings of looking like a healthy church, but they were missing the one thing that was most important to any group of believers, and it was love. So don't miss the, the, the corporate context here. This is in regards to a church. 
But, but also what Paul writes here is not meant to be set out against spiritual gifts either. I, I hear it used that way. Paul is not using this chapter to speak against spiritual gifts so much as he is explaining to them the context in which spiritual gifts ought to exist. They ought to exist in the context of love. And, and he's going to deal with this even more specifically, Lord willing, next week in chapter 14. And he's going to talk about the greater gift being prophecy and things like that, speaking forth truth, being, for, being able to speak forth truth there. And, and he's going he's to explain that within the context of a church, tongues really serve no purpose. They don't serve a purpose. But truth does, and, and here love does, and he's helping them understand what it means to look like as a truly spiritual body. Please remember that. The Corinthians thought they were spiritual. They thought they were mature. They thought they were all that. We're going to see it, 1 Corinthians 7. They were not lacking in any gift. This is a very, very gifted church. What they lacked was love. They lacked love. They lacked the one thing that truly marks off a follower of Christ. It's love. We'll see that today. I mean, personally, when I study this, I realize just how impatient I am. I realize how many times I personally violate all of these. It can be challenging to read this, but, 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 but I'm just one person in a, in a church that makes up the body of Christ. We, we need to live like this. These, these descriptors that Paul gives, they're very specific to the Corinthian people. They would have driven home a point as a Corinthian believer. As you read this list... It would have been like daggers in your heart if you lived in that context, if you lived in that culture, if you participated the way. It would be as if we were struggling in some very specific areas and somebody wrote a letter and called out those specific areas, attitudes. Things. These were daggers to them, very specific. So what I want us to see today are, are three things that you have here in this chapter. First, I want to see the necessity of love. The necessity of love. Then I want us to look at the character of love. And lastly, I want us to look at the permanence of love, which is really the point that Paul is making and why love is the, is the grand quality there, because of its permanence. So, so firstly, here, first things. If our actions are not motivated by love for each other, our actions become worthless. If our actions are not motivated by love, if what we're doing is not motivated, undergirded, the foundation of it is not love, it, Paul says it's worthless. Look at verses 1 through 3. As, as Lee read, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul, Paul is making a broader point here. And he begins to make it. These were characteristics of the Corinthian church that they took great pride in. And, and Paul is showing them again what true spirituality looks like, what a real walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ looks like. The battle here again over what marks a truly born-again person, what marks a truly mature spiritual person. When I say spiritual, I mean follower of Jesus Christ. This isn't some mystic thing. This isn't just choose which way you want to go. What marks a follower of Jesus Christ? That's the question. 
What are the evidences of somebody who is spiritually mature? The Corinthians valued everything that Paul lists there. That is a very specific list that he gives. They, they loved grandiose speech. That's why Paul in the earlier chapter says, I came, I didn't have grand speech. I wasn't a great orator. They, they loved great public acts, great demonstrations. Paul says, hey, you know what? You can be showy with your gifts. You could say to that mountain, move over there. And if it moves, but if you don't have love, what's the point? On top of that, you could give yourself over and be burned. You could die for this cause, not a mark of spiritual maturity, if it's not, if it's not motivated by love. And that was Paul's point. See, the Corinthians, they had a spirituality, they had a public walk that had all the religious characteristics about it that the world values. If you looked at them from a worldly perspective, you would have thought, hey man, they looked apart. They avoided certain things, we've seen that. They had great knowledge, we've seen that. They did certain things that they felt like they were supposed to do, we saw that. They even had the miraculous in their midst. Certainly, when you looked at them, you'd think, man, they got it. That's it. That's it. But they had all the externals, all the external markings that the world and its religious systems value. But guess what? They were missing love for one another. They were missing love for one another, which is the main thing that ought to mark out a group of believers is love for one another. They had all the externals. They looked the part on the outside. They did all the right things. They avoided the wrong things. I'm not saying they were perfect, but generally speaking, you would have looked at them and thought, man, they got it. Paul says, absolutely not. You're missing love. And love is the most basic, undergirding characteristic that you ought to use to describe a Christian. Look with me at John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by your love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Notice what he didn't say, if you perform the miraculous, if you do this, if you do that. He says, no, 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 just love one another. In a sinful defiled world that, we, that Jesus entered into and that we live in today, guess what? If you will love one another, he says, the way that I've loved you, you will make a tremendous mark. It will be obvious who you're following. If you'll just love one another. That, that ought to be the supreme mark that sets a Christian off from the rest of the world. The supreme characteristic of Christianity is love. It's not the miraculous. It's not the showy stuff. It's not doing these big things. It's a love for one another. And it's a love for one another that is mimicked after the way that Jesus has loved us. Remember, he says, as I have loved you. You, you go to Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is what? The first one, love. The first evidence of the Spirit living inside of me as a believer ought to be love. Then comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But it starts with love. The most foundational characteristic of a Christian is love. And they had tons. Hear me. The Corinthians had tons of religious activities. They were zealous toward activities. But they were lacking love. And Paul says, guess what? All your stuff is worthless. All your stuff profits nothing. Why? 
because you violated the most foundational principle. Yeah, how many of you have ever put something together? But you, I, I, Brad, my son loves Legos, and and if you don't, if you're not careful, if you miss that little little two pronged little piece that sometimes in that Lego set, you get about ten pages down and you realize it don't fit anymore. It doesn't fit. You you missed foundationally that early early little piece, and it misses, and that's essentially what Paul is saying. You can do all these great things, but it's worthless. It doesn't hold water. It doesn't serve its purpose. The, what Paul says here about noisy gong, clanging cymbal, those were, those were very languages of the pagan cults that Paul was battling in the Corinthian uh, areas. They were invading the church. Those were metaphors of that day, and they meant for that which is empty or hollow or contains no benefit. The, the pagan cults had these gongs and these sounds. And Paul says, look, what's the point? It's just a noise. It doesn't mean anything. More, more important than the miraculous is the fact that you love one another. Love one another. And that is the context, a loving a loving, loving body of believers. That's the context in which all the various ways that God has gifted us, that's the context in which those gifts are to function. A loving body of believers. And you think about us today. I thought about us today. If Paul was writing to us today, what would he say? What would our list look like? <coughs> it, 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 might, it might say, without love... Chris's preaching is a noisy gong. Some of you may say that's not too far from the truth anyway some days, but, you know, a noisy gong. He, he would say, you're volunteering at Odessa Elementary, worthless. He would say, your food pantry serves hundreds and hundreds of people every single month, thousands and thousands of pounds of food. People would not get by without it. He says it's worthless. If you don't love them, if you're not loving each other, worthless. Fellowship three, worthless. Waste of time. First Sunday supper, useless. Quit doing it. If you don't love one another, go home early. Catch the game. You're missing the game for nothing. Get out of here. That'd be what he would say. Awana, what are you doing here on Wednesday nights? Go home. Awana, get out of here. Worthless if you don't love one another. If you're just looking for external trappings, these are all good things. All good things. Notice the list that he gives here. It's not like these are overtly sinful. These are great things. He says they profit nothing without love. Not, if we're honest, that's not the things that I would have expected to be included on that list as being worthless. Great things. He says if you don't love one another, they're worthless. The challenge for us is we can be content doing that which is worthless because it's public. Because people see it. And all the while he's saying it's worthless. You go all the way back to Matthew 6. He says, you, you guys, you do all these things for public applause. Guess what? You've got your reward. The Lord is not going to reward you at all. Why? Because you're not seeking the Lord's reward. You're seeking man's approval. You got it. Move on worthless and, and the problem is that the corinthians 
thought that they were more mature than they were. They thought they were more mature than they were. Anybody ever, anybody ever tried to buy a game or something? Keep wanting to walk away. Anybody ever tried to buy a game or something for their kid? And, and this happened to me yesterday. It, it, was a, it was an app on the, on the computer or the iPad or whatever. And it said nine plus. And Sarah says, well, I'm five. Okay. But that game says it's for nine plus. But, but I'm five. I, I can, I, it's okay. I can deal with it, Daddy. That, that's kind of like the Corinthians. I, I'm five. Can't I do those? I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more mature than I really am. He says, you're not. You're showing all these external evidences, but inside you're not mature. You're immature. And, and, but if you measure it by activity, if we measure our maturity, if the Corinthians measured their maturity by activity, they would have looked mature. But really, deep down, they were lacking the most fundamental, foundational characteristic of a Christian. Love. Jesus says that. Blessed are those who weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Why? Love. That's motivated by love. And, and again, he says, he says these are done by things who believers who have love. Literally those who are given. He says in verse 3, but do not have love. It, that word means given over to love. It, it means that out of love, all these other things flow. If you drill down, what you're going to find at the core of a Christian ought to be love. That is the spring from which everything else flows. He says you have Love, not that, you're, not that you're motivated by love, you have love. Most foundational thing of all. And, and here's the reason that love is to be supreme, because love is the concrete expression of what Jesus Christ did for us in coming to this world and dying for the sins of the world. It was summed up in love. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son what what he had love he was full of love he loved us the the public was motivated by a love to to have love in verse three is to act towards others the way that god in christ has acted toward us and the question for Paul and the question for us is this. Are we going to mark Christianity and what it means to be spiritually mature, what it means to have a, an intimate relation with Christ by simply avoiding certain behaviors or, or doing certain behaviors, going through the motions? Are we going to mark ourselves? Are we going to be defined by a love for one another? A love for one another. And the, the difference is somewhat subtle, but it's this. We can have activities without love, but we can't have love without activities. I can serve you and hate your guts, but I can be more interested in what others think about me. But I can't love you and not serve you. There's a subtle difference. I can do all the externals and want you to think I'm somebody I'm not, all the while, God knows exactly who I am. That's the challenge with Christianity. We can go through our whole lives and we can fool the whole world. We can fool all those around us by doing the public. All the while, God says, He knows who we are. He knows. 
I, and, and you can't, here's the thing. You, it is the being that overflows into the doing. That's what Paul is saying, the being. Having love overflows into the doing. Look with me at Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ, look at what he says. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. That's outward works. That's appearing spiritual. That's having all the marks of what is spiritual or not spiritual. He says those mean nothing but faith working what? Through love. Faith working through love. Everything for the believer flows out of a love for other believers. Even my sharing the gospel flows out of a love for the lost. A love for the lost, not forgetting that, guess what? I was once lost, but by the grace of God, I was found. The, blind, the blindness was thrown off of me by grace, and I saw Jesus for who he was and repented of my sinfulness and was saved. Grace, love, but God did that out of love. And the Corinthians thought they had arrived because they had certain activities, certain characteristics, but they lacked love. The question for us is, will we fall in the same trap? Will will we miss the whole point of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian and get caught up in the doing rather than the being? Because what I've noticed about my own life, when the being is there, the doing happens automatically. It just overflows. I don't have to to wake up and think, oh, I've got to be patient today, I've got to be patient today, I've got to be patient. I'm just patient. And, and, And... Karen and I were having this conversation yesterday. I've noticed that if I stay up much past 11 o'clock, what you're going to get is not patience. i got to go to bed. But, but if we would focus on the being and, and not the doing will come along, and that's what Paul is saying. All these doings are worthless if they're not motivated by love. Don't, don't let what we do here be empty and a noisy, clanging symbol because we don't love one another. Cultivate love for one another. Without it, everything is worthless. That's what he says in verses 1 through 3. But verses 4 through 8, Paul gives us the biblical character of love. What does love look like? What does love look like? And he's shown the importance of it, and here he's going to describe it. And notice, these are verbs. These aren't adjectives. They're verbs. They're doing. They're activities. Love is behavior. That's what Paul is saying. Love is behavior. Love is an action. Don't say, oh, I love them, and then you don't do nothing. You're lying. It's behavior. It's action. Anything short of action is not love. It's a violation of love. And it's, love is an action, or it's refusing to act in a way that would be unbecoming, as we'll see in here. And these verbs here... They're in the, in, the, in the Greek, they're in the present continuous. What that means is they're ongoing. They don't stop. I, it's not, hey, I did that for you yesterday. It's continuous, ongoing. So, so what is love? What is love? Paul gives two descriptors here, and then he's going to say what love is not. He says love is patient. The word there literally means long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. Love does not give up easily. The ingots are going to the, the DR. 
The honeymoon will, will end if it has not ended already. A love for those girls, and, and more than that, a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, better be there to drive them day in and day out to get up and serve these young ladies. Long-suffering, it's patient. Love is kind. Love is kind, he says. That word there means active goodness on the behalf of someone else. Active goodness. Not wishing goodness, active goodness. Twofold application. Twofold application there that Paul sets out. Not giving others what they deserve. That's patience. Not giving others what they deserve. Guess what? That's the way Jesus Christ loves us. Not giving us what, a, what we deserve. But not only that, kindness, it's showering others with active mercy. God does that too. God could be described in both of these and how he has acted towards us in Christ. And thus we are to respond to others the way that Christ has, God has responded to us in Christ. We love because God first loved us. And now we, he goes on to give a list of verbs and, and how love does not act. And again, this was a specific context. If you look back, and, and I knew we weren't going to have time today, so I didn't go there. You can, he has already shown in 1 Corinthians how the Corinthians violated each one of these. They have already violated. In this letter, he references each one of these and how they violated it. He, he's saying, I li- I've already shown you how you violated I've already proven my point. That you, you think you're mature, you think you've got it, you think you did, but let me look. Look, and this is just what I know about you. He says, the, These were aimed at the Corinthians. He says, Okay, what love is not? I showed you what it is. Here's what it's not love is not jealous. The, the word here points to strife, it refers to rivalry. It, love does not jockey for position. Love doesn't stir up strife. Love isn't, isn't where you're trying to be this or that or get in with this person or that person. He says, if you're acting that way, it's not love. The Corinthians loved, loved to be first. Loved to jockey for position. He said over and over again, I know that there's strife and jealousy among you. Love does not brag. Interesting, the word there means windbag. Literally means windbag. If you were to exactly interpret it, windbag. It's focused on self. It's the desire to be noticed. It's wanting people to to think more of you than you really are. It's caring more about what others think about you than you really are. He, He says love is not arrogant. It literally means to be puffed up. Interesting, in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. They're arrogant. He's already called them out. They love knowledge. He says, you're arrogant. You violated love. In light of what Christ has done for us, he says, there's no room for arrogance in Christianity. He said that over and over in 1 Corinthians 1, 31. I told you I wasn't go here, but I can't help it. So that let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. They were boasting in all kinds of other things other than the Lord. Love does not act unbecomingly. The, the, the word there literally is rude. It's rude. Love is not rude. Any behavior that results in disgrace or, or embarrassment or shame, not loving. It says love does not seek its own. 
Instead, what does it do? It seeks the good of others. That's the fullest expression of Jesus Christ coming to the cross. Matthew 20, 28, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't seek his own. In a sense, yeah, he was getting a bride, but yeah, he was after us. We're his prize. Love is not provoked. Literally, the word there is easily angered. Love is not easily angered, slow to boil over. Love. Love does not take into account wrongs suffered. Not that any of these were easy, but now he really starts getting into hard things here. Love does not take into account wrongs suffered. Literally, he means does not think on any wrong suffered. It's like it never existed. Never existed. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that Christ keeps, does not reckon our sin against us. You see how it goes back to Christ? We are to love the way that we've been loved. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but instead rejoices with truth. These are two sides of the same reality. You can't rejoice in unrighteousness and at the same time rejoice in truth. And literally here he says, you refuse to delight in anything evil. Think about that. You refuse to delight in anything evil. And he closes and he says in verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The fill in there is all things. That is the general character of love. It can face anything. It can deal with anything. Why? Because it has, it's assured the absolute confidence of the way that we're loved in Christ Jesus. It all goes back to Christ Jesus and how we've been loved. It, 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 it's, it's attached to not only how we have been loved, are being loved, but it's attached to how we will be loved by Christ Jesus. Our, our future, if we are in Christ, if our sins have been forgiven, are, is secure. And he says, okay, therefore, you can face anything that comes your way. Because you know that Christ's love for you will not be violated or broken. Therefore, you do the same. It's continually pouring itself out on behalf of others. Look, look with me at Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he says? Go love others the same way you've been loved. With nothing touching your love, nothing violating your love, nothing ceasing your love. Why? Because you've been loved that way. And the bottom line, if we're going to apply this, here's where it gets real challenging. You can substitute the name of Jesus for every single one of these verbs. I mean, every single time you see love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not... You can substitute it. He is the perfect example of love. The perfect example. True, biblical, selfless, seeks the good of others, first and foremost, you can replace love with, with Jesus. He's that described. The question becomes this, can we replace love with your name? Chris is patient, sometimes. Chris is kind, sometimes. Chris is not arrogant, sometimes. Sometimes. 
That's the call. These characteristics ought to mark our lives. The, The question becomes this. If I went out there and asked those kids, hey, does this describe your mommy and daddy? If I read this, does this describe mommy and daddy? What about your coworkers? What about your neighbors? What about your friends? Do they know us like this? Do they, do they know us the way this describes us? And, and you say, hold on, well, there's an end to, to God's patience. There is, I don't know when that is, but it does come. But guess what? He doesn't do that for His own good. And see, the end of my patience You can try my patience and I give up. Why? Because it's good for me. See, God disciplines us because it's good for us. And don't withhold these for our own sake. Pursue them for the glory of God and for the sake of others. Love is worthless. I mean, everything is worthless without love. And their character of love never fails. Never fails. But lastly, real quickly, love is the greatest of all because only the gift of love is permanent. And Paul makes that very clear here in verses 8 through 13. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. The, the phrase, they will, they will cease, it's a little different. And, and there's some discussion over what that means. But literally, it could mean that they just fade away. With prophecy and knowledge, something comes that ends them Tongues, it's, it's, it's the, a, a different kind of voice in the Greek, meaning, meaning it'll, it'll, they'll fade away. But what Paul is saying is love is beyond compare. You can have all these grand, miraculous, showy things, but you give me a guy or a gal who simply loves one another the way that they've been loved, and I'll take that. Why? Because that never fails. Never gets old. It's never inappropriate. It's beyond compare. A believer, a person who loves, never fails, he says. Never fails. Paul makes it clear that all the other gifts will pass away, but love never comes to an end. All the other gifts will be gone. Love will never be useless. It'll never be invalid. It'll never be out of, out of, out of, it'll never be out of vogue. It's good. And Paul is saying, you focus, Corinthians, you focus, church at Odessa, on what lasts. All the other gifts are destined to come to an end. They will end, but not love. For all eternity, we will spend loving our Savior and one another. We'll have no need for prophecy, no need for any of these other things. Why? Because what he says is, we will be fully known. Look at verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully. When Jesus returns... There ain't going to be need for any of these other things. Why? Because he's face to face. And it, right now we're looking at him like a mirror. We have a picture. But it's different. I thought about it this week and I don't want to embarrass them, but I thought about it all week. The difference here. I, I remember and, and hopefully I'll forever remember standing at the gate of Jim and Don Hampton with their kids when he came home from serving in the military. Did, did they have photographs? That they shared? That they looked at? Yes. Did they talk on the phone? Yeah. Did they Skype sometimes? Yep. Guess what? None of that compared to when he drove in that driveway in that car and got out and was face to face. Face to face. 
We, some of us in here have lost loved ones. Guess what? One day, if they were believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to stand face to face before them again in the presence of our Savior, and we will love for all eternity. There ain't going to be no tongues and arguing over that and prophecy and all this other stuff, but love. Love. And what Paul is saying is, why don't you practice now what you're going to do for all of eternity? You see dimly in a mirror, guess what? One day your Savior is going to be face to face. And you, you can look at 1 Corinthians 1 7, and it, and it seems that Paul is referring to the return of our Savior, and that's what's going to, uh, that's what we're looking for, and that's going to be the culmination or the end, he says in verse 7 of chapter 1, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Look, they were a gifted church. Nobody argues that. Awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What were they waiting for? The return of Christ. What were the Hamptons waiting on? The return of Jim. What are some of you in here waiting on? Not on the return of Christ, but you want to see your loved one. And right now it's dim. And I don't mean that as a bad way. The Bible is complete. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given is God-breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so the man may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I'm not saying that we don't have an adequate resource here. But it's different than being face to face. And everything that we know about God, He is an awesome God. But guess what? Our present vision of God, as great as the Bible presents that, will be nothing when we stand face to face with Him. We'll be nothing when we stand face to face. And I say stand, we'll probably end up on our faces because of how great he is. That's what Paul is saying. It's the difference between hanging on to a photo and seeing face to face. And the Corinthians were loving that which was temporal. And the application of that goes far beyond only the gifts. Don't love that which is temporal, that which is fading away. Love that which is permanent, that will never fade away. Make, make an impact that will never fade away. And what we are to do is we are to love this way. You say, how long? Until the return of Christ. That's what Paul says. You love one another the way that Christ has loved you until Christ returns. So the question becomes this. Will we give ourselves over to that which is temporal or will we pursue the permanent? Will we waste all of our resources on that which is going to fade away and rust and decay and be given over to somebody else if it lasts or will we invest in that which is permanent? Will, will we be focused on the things that Christ is focused on or will we focus on the things of this world and live distracted lives? That's the question. Will we make much of ourselves and make much of that which is flashly, flashy, or will we simply live obedient lives for Christ, seeking to love one another that never, in a way that never fails? That's the question. Don't get caught up on the externals and the trappings. Pursue that which is true and real and never fades away.